Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of RZ Weekly, a weekly podcast about the religious Zionist world, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. I'm here with Rabbi Johnny Solomon, who teaches at Matan, Midrash at Lindenbaum, Machon Mayan, Midrash at Torah Vechesed. He was a prolific writer and an editor of Jewish content for organizations around the world. We are with Mali Brabski. Rabbi Mali Brabski is a senior faculty member and Shanabed director at Michlelet Mibaseret Yerushalayim, a.k.a. MMY, and maintains a clinical social work practice in Gritsch Sion. I am Ruben Spolter. I'm the director of OTS Amiyava Kiila and the rabbinic liaison for English-speaking countries for Irgun Rabbanate Zohar. Today, we're going to discuss uh, the implications of a book called Israeli Judaism. A Portrait of a Cultural Revolution by Camille Fuchs and Shmuel Rosner, in which you can read a sort of the, you can read a, a, a synopsis of the book. We recommend that you read the entire book. It's a good idea. They propose that over recent years there's been a develop, development of a new kind of, of Israeli, where it's Israeli and Jewish together, which is different than classical models that we sort of have in our, in our minds about the secular versus the religious. So I'm going to ask Johnny to introduce the topic. And then we'll ask him a couple of questions. Johnny, take it away. Tell us about the book. Okay. Well, this is a, a translation of, of of a book of the of the, the same title, published. I think it was uh, just about eighteen months ago. It came out in English a couple of months ago. And what the authors are arguing, based on extensive research uh, and surveys that they conducted and surveys that they've collated, is they're trying to really give us a snapshot of Judaism in Israel in the 21st century. And what they basically say is some of the terms and labels that we've been using until now simply don't work and aren't relevant. And they try and capture what it is to be a Jew in Israel and how those two identities, the national identity and religious identity, fuse together. They acknowledge that there are people who are more religious and less kind of associating with national identity, and others, of course, who have a strong national identity, but very limited religious identity. And there's a whole plethora of surveys describing those behaviors, some predictable, many unpredictable. But really what they're trying to say is a new kind of Judaism is emerging here in Israel in the 21st century, which blends a affinity with Medina Israel and the culture that that is fostering and takes from Jewish traditions and brings it together, sometimes in ways which seem familiar to a religious Jew or traditional Jew, and other ways which perhaps seem less familiar. But nonetheless, this Israeli Judaism, or Jews-Israeli, which they describe, is, they say, important to understand where we are as a people today, to recognize that there are trends happening here that aren't happening elsewhere, it gives a sense of perspective as to how American Judaism is differing with Israeli Judaism, obviously not just American, but other communities around the world. And some of the sweet spots of what it means to be a Jew living in Midnight Israel, uh, they talk about Mimuna, for example, which is not certainly something significantly celebrated outside of the borders of the land of Israel, um, at least today that is. They talk about certain interesting customs that have arisen, such as riding bicycles on Yom Kippur, which is not a religious custom, but it's based on the sanctity of the day. It's developed on almost a, a strange secular minhag, which has taken on a certain national and quasi-religious uh, quality. 
And uh, in so doing, uh, they're suggesting that we should stop using terms which make no sense today, Masorati uh, and Mizrahi. These are words which were used and did describe a certain time and place. But try and lean into this new terminology and understand what it's all about. Understand that a lot of people are searching and there are contradictions in behavior and in belief here in Israel a lot, lot more than necessarily elsewhere in the Jewish world. So John, I just want to add and pick up so that for people who haven't read it, so I'm just going to sort of paraphrase from the, from the article, from the summation. They say the following. They say there are basically four types of groups now in Israel. What they call Jews-Israelis, which they, 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 based on their statistics, is 55%, the majority of Israelis. Okay, so who, those who practice tradition and nationality. Then those who only practice nationality, which they call Israelis. Okay, they're no old-fashioned labor Zionists, etc., etc. Those who mostly practice Jewish traditions and less Israelis, which they call mostly Haredim. Okay, and those who practice neither, they call them universalists, liberal left-leaders. So you have Jews-Israelis, you have nationalists, you have Haredim, you have those who are traditionalists, and then you have universalists. And the majority, they want they claim that the majority are these, is this what they call Jews-Israeli. But now here's what I want to ask you. Isn't Jews-Israeli, I mean, it's just a wide range of saying people who are from all the way from religious Zionists, all the way, it's just taking the chunk of the middle and renaming it. All the people who are religious Zionists from Khardal. All the way down to secular, you know, but also keeps on somewhat some level of tradition. So you, we want to make that that large chunk in the middle, and then everybody else on the sides are the minority. And what they're trying to describe is the fact that if you would look at the middle of anything, you can label it what you want. But a Jew-Israeli is is just a, a way of relabeling uh, an already existing phenomenon. So is that something new? Do you think they're identifying something new or relabeling something old? I think they're saying the old labels aren't serving their purpose today. True, the Jews really may well include the religious Zionists up to people who are you know, strongly nationalistic uh, and partially uh, tradition-keeping. Nonetheless, one, it also includes, uh, you know, to use a term you used before, Haredim, who, who do a number of, of national uh, acts of celebration, which oftentimes people wouldn't put in the same pool. Oftentimes people wouldn't say are in, in the same group or sit in the same position in the continuum. Meaning, or the previous labels we've used, namely secular and, 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 and Masorati and Dati or Dati Tzioni and Haredi or Chardal, what that tells us is how we differentiate religion necessarily. But they're interested in how the religion interplays with life in Israel, and there's a suggestion that there's a lot more similarity than difference. See, but that, I, I would say that's interesting, because that Misorati in Israel means you're on the one hand, you're, you are, you're nationalist, you're secular, but you have a, you have a sense of connection to tradition. Religious Zionist in Israel means exactly that. You're religious, but you're a Zionist. So, and then you have all that wide spectrum, you have that wide range in the middle. So I, I, I understand what you're trying to say, and I'm really trying to I'm trying to hone in and ask you, is this a new phenomenon? Is it something that's developed, that's changed over time, and that's why the labels are not going to, I'm going to turn it to Mali? Or is it just a relabeling of the same old, same old, but a nice way of putting it so that we all get along? I think, at least in response and based on what they say in the book, a lot of the labels we use today are, were, were formulated or at least became popular in terms of Jewish discourse 
uh, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And at that time, as they say, some people really didn't quite know what is this entity Medina Israel. It was at its early stages, it was fighting its wars, and we looked at Israel in a particular way. The fact is Israel has significantly changed in that respect, uh, though of course we still need to fight uh, to defend ourselves. We have, I suppose, a greater sense of comfort and purpose uh, where we are situated economically. That's certainly the case. And, and given that, a culture has been built around a different type of living here, and that affected how people relate to their tradition, and it led to this, uh, these new identities they're describing. So I don't necessarily think that the old labels uh, don't fit themselves within this broader categorization. Nonetheless, this broader categorization includes things that those old labels didn't, because there's been a maturation of the State of Israel, and there's been developments in the practices of Jews within the State of Israel. And that synergy between the two is of interest to, uh, to Fuchs and Rosna, and they're mapping it. They're, they're trying to give us a new topography of, of the Jewish world, uh, at least the Jewish population here in Israel. Molly, you agree with Johnny? It's a change, a relabeling, and if it's a change, how do you see that change? Okay, so the truth is that um, I just had a Zionist moment while Johnny was was talking. Um, once again, I'm going to quote Rav Cook, but I think that's appropriate for this conversation if I'm going to be talking about a Zionist moment. I happen to have been teaching this morning a specific uh, piece by Rav Cook, um, and when Johnny was talking, uh, I, I realized how prescient Rav Cook was, actually. Because when, when Ruby, when you said, is this new that, that, that like the majority of Jews actually blend? You said there are four types. Um, nationalist, you know, Haredi, Universalists, and Jews-Raeli. Is this Jews-Raeli thing new or is it, you know, just like a, just a, some kind of middle um, amalgam? So if Cook actually says, and I don't know exactly what year he wrote it, but it had to be pre-1933 or 1930, which is when he passed away, right, the early 1900s. He writes an article, a piece, where he says, there are three types of Jews in this country right now. The religious, right, the, the, which includes like the Orthodox slash the Haredi, the nationalists, uh, in which he's talking about the secular Zionists who believe that we have to create a new Jewish person in the Jewish state, and the universalists, right? Those are the humanist communists who believe in the brotherhoods of all men. And he says these three groups are fighting and duking it out to the death. And what he calls for in that piece is, um, a, he, he says, if we go to extremes and we, we um, if every group fights to the death and, and becomes, uh, goes to its most extreme place, that's going to be dangerous because extremes are never healthy. What we need to do as a culture is to have the three groups all come together, influence each other, so that the positives of each can can be expressed, but not only that, so that each group can keep the other group in check, right? Because my critique, let's say if I'm from a um, religious camp, no, let me do it in something that I'm not specifically, let's say I'm from the universalist camp, camp and I believe in universal rights of man, I can maybe check some behaviors in another group, let's say in a nationalist camp, where you're where, where maybe you're going to too much of a a nationalist place is going to minimize human rights, and therefore we're all going to 
we're going to kind of be able to navigate and stay in a healthy center, right? And so when you said, and now the majority of the country are actually these Jews-Raelis who certainly meld the, the nationalist and the Jewish, and I would hope also have some elements of the values of the universal. I hope that that's kind of a given in terms of um, I, personal identity, because again, if Cook says, these impulses are in all humans. Everybody has a religious impulse. Everybody has some type of a tribal nationalistic impulse, and everybody also has a universal humanist impulse, and we have to find the balance. So I think that's actually quite beautiful to say that we that the country we're actually doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're actually creating in this land um, like it's a success. We we're we're we, with all of our struggles, and I, I like Johnny's word maturation. We're reaching a point where where we're learning how to meld all of these things into some type of um, coherent identity, right? Okay, so, so I'm going to play. Yeah, I'm going to play devil's advocate with you and ask you to follow me. Um, is it that we're learning to meld and that people are coming together, or what you could suggest otherwise is there are now several hundred thousand Israelis living in the Gola, right? So the people who the people who just didn't feel that nationalist tendency, they're the universalists or the or the stark secularists. They left. They're leaving. Because it's, it's harder to live here. It's, you, you have to want to live here. You have to see the beauty of living here. And at the same, that's question number one. Are, is, it, is it that things are changing or the secularists just leaving? Or, and, on the, and at the same time, as a religious person, when you say people influencing each other, so somebody who's Haredi would hear that and say, well, is that a good thing that a religious person is being influenced by the nationalists? You go to the army, you know, all of them, Johnny alluded to these studies, you throw off your kippah, so you're great, you're a, you're a Jew-Israeli. But, but have we really accomplished much when, yes, it's very nice if the secular became Jew-Israelis, but is it as nice when the religious and the Haredi becomes, becomes a Jew-Israeli? So address, Molly, those two questions. Is it the secularist leaving or things are changing, really changing? And number two is, is it necessarily a good thing when the extremes, or not, what's to the religious, they definitely lose some level of religion if they're going to be influenced by their secular counterparts into becoming good Jews-Israelis. Right. So uh, to your first question, I mean, I don't really know the statistics to answer it, you know, in a to give you a response that's based on factual knowledge of what's actually happening. Um, is it that people are leaving? Is it that uh, people are observing the political landscape and therefore their ideologies are shifting. Um, is it, there, there, again, there's so many trends that we're seeing. I think one of the things that I think we mentioned in the podcast previously is that with the, the, the um, rise of appreciation, the greater appreciation for Mizrahi and Sephardi culture, um, they are more traditionally Misorati and Dati, that's impacted the landscape. There's so many pieces, but I, I don't know if I would view it through the lens that you're viewing it. I, I Meaning, if there are people leaving, right? So like, okay, that's fine. But my focus is on this en enterprise that's happening here, right? So like, yeah, you might have you might have drop-off. You might have drop-off from, from one place or from the other. That's okay. Like, that's fine. But my focus is on what's happening here and and is what's happening here developing in a positive direction, and I would say yes, which leads me to your next question, which is um, what happens when the religious become influenced, and is that good or is that bad? And I definitely concede your concern that, uh, and, and it's true, uh, you know, when you talk to Haredim, this is a different topic, and you alluded to maybe we'll discuss it at a different time, but 
what the resistance is in the Haredi community to, to army service, their main real concern is that their grandchildren will not be Haredi. Not even necessarily that their grandchildren won't be religious, because maybe their grandchildren will be Israeli. But they, they want to preserve their way of life. That's their, their, their real issue. And I, I respect that as a, as a concern for their community. So um, I, I'm not going to say that I don't think that, and I think you're right. Like I think, and we've discussed this before, or I've alluded to it before. I believe that um, even also in the Datilumi world, because you can be Jewsraeli and because your spirituality and your Jewish slash religious identity, and that's another thing I think they mentioned in this book, which is like they, people don't distinguish between like, Am I doing this because I'm Jewish, because I'm a good Jew, or am I doing it because I'm a good Israeli? Like, if I just serve in the army, making me a good Jew or a good Israeli, in the book, they're like, people I say both. It's like, they don't distinguish between those two things. So therefore, like, does halakha have as importance in my identity? So I do think that you're right, that 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 there, there are trade-offs happening here. Um, I still would like to have the optimistic view that, that, Overall, it's a it's it's a positive movement. The blending is positive. It does mean that if we're in one camp or the other, certainly I'd say if we're in the religious camp, we have our work cut out for us, which is how are we going to um, preserve the values of traditional Jewish values in the face of those becoming less maybe compelling for a Jewsraeli. And that's maybe a challenge to us, but I still think that the movement is healthy and positive. Right. If overall. culturally, if culturally being a Jewsraeli is considered, you know, a, a very strong Jewish identity, which I think many in Israel would say it is, so then the you know adherence and shmirat mitzvot becomes becomes the meticulousness and uh, and. and assiduousness of what person in adhering to mitzvah becomes less important because I do the army and does it really matter what, you know, like whether, whether I, what, like how careful I am about what I eat or whether I dive in in the morning or, or, you know, and those things are connected to my relationship to Kadosh Baruch Hu, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think that's something that, that we need to really be, be aware of and be concerned if they're correct, then that's, that's a, it's a, it's a huge challenge because, and I think awareness has a lot to do with it that, talking to our children about that fact, about, yes, there's a value, yes, we see, but, like, as a religious Zionist, I believe in both. I don't think that they come one, one, one at, the, at, the, uh, at the expense of the other, but I believe that. I have to be a meticulous nationalist, and I have to be a meticulous religious Jew. And that's really what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted me to do. He wanted me to, and I, I alluded to this the last time we spoke, he wants me to, you know, be meticulous in what I eat and how I speak and my learning and my prayer. He also wants me to be meticulous in my connection to Amisara. And and I think that's something that we have to strive for. I wanted to switch switch um, gears and talk about they they allude to they allude to Johnny. Do you want to say something before we switch gears? And the same, it's a conversation. Uh, well, I'm not I'm not entirely sure how we're going to switch gears, but I do want to raise an important point, which perhaps we're going to be getting to, uh, because there are two corollaries. Well, actually, one which leads to another, based on everything you've said, which I I really uh, uh, am, am in agreement with in both in terms of both of your remarks. They speak in the book extensively about the difference, and I already mentioned this, between diaspora jury and Israeli jury, and how because we're forging a new type of experience, and that experience continues to develop based on the, the changes in Israel, the gaps are growing. And it's not just religious gaps or national gaps. It's this fusion which we have here, which doesn't exist 
quite in the same way. And I had a very interesting uh, moment with a, with a diaspora rabbi recently made Aliyah. And uh, he, he's been meeting families who perhaps 15, 10 years ago, he was supportive of them making Aliyah because he thought, well, if you're religious and you love Israel, come to Israel and you'll be religious and you're going to love Israel. But basically what's happened to some of these families, by no means all, is what you just described, Ruby, which is some of them have compromised on dimensions of their religious observance because they've committed themselves further to their national observance. Well, one second. I, 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 I question that. At least that's not my experience. Meaning what he might be identifying as they left the Haredi community or a pseudo-Haredi community and accepted you know, certain norms in their community, and, they, and now they've associated with a, with a more light or... or no, Ruby, Ruby, I want to community. jump in here. I, I want to defend Johnny because it's like almost like a... a it's not me, it's a... Yeah, it's an observation. No, it's, I wonder if it's true. It's a nameless It's not rock. about, oh, I used to be Haredi and now I'm Dati Lumi. There is a well-known... Um, it, it, it's like a... A, a shmuah, right? It's a thing that everybody knows. If you come to... If you make Aliyah, you are risking the religiosity of your children. They are going to be either less religious or they are going to be not religious. No, and that's the reason think, not that's to not make a That's not what the rabbi's talking about. The rabbi's talking about families that leave a, a, you know, an Orthodox community and they come to Israel and now they decide they don't have to be as religious. I, I've never but seen I that. I think it's... No, but that's... That, what, that's Johnny, what are, you, are you talking about the phenomenon of kids being less religious or the family itself? Because I really, I mean, I know people make Aliyah. I mean, we know many of them in many different communities. And I've never seen somebody come and say it's like it reminds me of that like saying that you know when people would come on the train from Beirut and, and enter into Haifa just like they threw up there they would throw up their tefillin you know like they used to throw off the tefillin there was a train by the way just they would throw up the tefillin at Ellis Island because once I'm in Israel they don't have to be a religious Jew anymore it, it just I've never Johnny have you ever, I, have I, you ever I, seen I, it I, have you ever you know a lot of people I don't think I I don't think it's conscious but I do think it happens within the family but it's particularly potent within the children. I mean, for one of the reasons is, for example, uh, and, and this is, I mentioned to this particular rabbi, you know, most synagogues don't have community rabbis. So you go to a place, uh, we live in very particular neighborhoods, but you go to a particular place and, and you live where you live and you go to shul and you do your Jewish things, but you don't often have those institutional representatives of institutions to be as engaged in your religious I, I couldn't disagree more strong. I could not disagree more strongly. There is nothing to compare to Ezra or B'nai Akiva in any of and They could have B'nai Akiva, but it is nothing to compare to Chodesh Irgun and the connection the kids have to kids of their own ilk and the religious right, commitment that they have. B'nai Akiva is so Jew-Israeli. It is so It not, is not unreligious. Um, it is not irreligious. It's not religion unreligious. Nobody suggests that. It's not unreligious, uh, but it's definitely much no. more Jew-Israeli than it is Haredi. Right? It's not religious like Zionist. It's not religious Zionist. I'm forgetting Jews really now. That's my problem. Jews really. So it's, it's not Jews really. That's the problem with Jews really. Jews really could mean that it's like showing. It's like you know. No, but Ruby, a secular... what was the, the Bnei Akiva? What was it about this? It was about Mitzvah Ve'oset, right? Why? Because Bnei Akiva is very aware, as as we're all saying, that the challenge of 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 teaching our children that that their individual meticulous keeping of halacha is important is something that's very, very hard to convey in Israel, in this culture. And I agree with you. You said that before. And I think that it's true because, because the relationship with God that, that's built on details of halacha is an individual relationship with God. And you have to convince people that it's worth their investment 
in that because what they're doing I don't, I don't is think a it's, much it's harder here than it is in in Chutzlaretz. I mean, let's be honest. Yes, in Chutzlaretz, in Chutzlaretz, um, all these details are what keeps me Jewish and differentiates me, differentiates me from the world around me. That's my identity as a Jew. Whereas here, that's that is that's it's that's not it doesn't matter. It's again, I'm going to go back to Rav Cook. He describes it as a uh, a candle in the in the face of the blazing sun. Who cares? To, to, to suggest that making aliyah is what's going to cause your kids not to be religious. But Ruby, is, you know is, they say I, it. I, I find I'm it all the time. That. But people say it what's all the it? time, and we have to understand why they're saying it, and we have to articulate a reason, reasonable response, which I think we can. Which, but, but my, my reasonable not, response is passionate, involved parenting, positive modeling. You know, parenting. And that's all very nice. But again, you can't ignore. That, that there's a real phenomenon of Israel being um, attractive on the grand Jewish scale and less I attractive you, but that's on not, the individual that's, that's scale. That's not bad. Israel, but to argue, to argue that these same kids aren't going to secular colleges and experimenting in God knows what and deciding whether they want to be religious or not. That's a different that's, that's argument. Connected, it's, well, it's connected to youth are having more problems. Okay, we don't have to have that conversation, but... To, to no, and that's what Johnny brought up. That's exactly what he brought up. This rabbi was saying, I wouldn't encourage people to make aliyah because they're children. Whoa, whoa, make- whoa, whoa. I did not say that. Why are you talking about all of a sudden? I said, he's met kids and, and, and he's see, he's basically been taken aback by some of the journeys of the families that he recommended to make aliyah because they haven't maintained that quite same trajectory. He would did not. He he would not say don't make aliyah. This is first again. I'm not mentioning this particular person. He would definitely tell people to make aliyah, but he would give smarter advice in terms of what that would necessarily mean. Because uh, if a person may well enter a particular community and and choose certain institutions and lean on, shall we say? the Jews-Raeli nature of, of the culture, which strongly strengthens um, identity, but for some people gives license for perhaps uh, a more diluted expression of religious practice. Okay, fair enough. I would agree with that. But, but that, it's just common sense, meaning... If you want, <laughs> it's, it's, it seems to be common sense. Yes, you have to think carefully know, about what you want everybody to do. Strugg- but everybody's struggling with this question. Right. This is this is the question of the day. How? So I so I think it's just I think what we're trying to do is how are we going to frame this for ourselves in the best possible way so we can identify the problem. So then we can really identify the solution. If we can really articulate what is contributing to the problem, that will help us have tools to figure out how can we strengthen the places that we think need to be strengthened. So that's why I which think this. Is why, yeah. Which is why a number of the reviews about uh, Fuchs and Rosner's book. Uh, I'm looking at one of the here. I think was in Israel Yom. They basically said, you know, this is like trying to crack a code, trying to understand what's going on in the Jewish world, and this is what this book is trying to offer: a a a, a descriptor, a framing device to make sense of the Jewish population in Israel to make sense of the difference between that population and Jewish populations elsewhere, to highlight, obviously, where there are synergies, highlight where there are differences, and help us, obviously, in terms of policy and practice in the future. They're not saying, do this or do that. They're saying, this is this, and this is that. Okay, Johnny, you actually uh, turned me right into the, into the, the, the switch I wanted to, the turn I wanted to make which is the comparison they make between Israeli Jews and they said U.S. Jews, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's diaspora Jews. 
And it was, it was, I mean, the numbers are just shocking. That Israeli Jews, like just 57% of Israeli Jews light Shabbat candles versus 23% in America. 64% of Jews said they had a kosher home, 22% in America, which, which leads us to the clear understanding that whether you, that nationalism on some level does, I would say, support or increase a person's desire in Israel to maintain some level of religiosity. That even a national person would see, like they might not, they might see it as part of being Israeli, that I like Shabbat candles. They see the religiosity or the keeping of kashrut as part of their Jewish identity. They might not see it as part of the relationship with God, but they certainly see that. Whereas in America, we seem to be in a death spiral where if you're not religious, then no, there's nothing feeding on anything. So you don't maintain a kosher home, you don't care about intermarriage, you don't light Shabbat candles, you don't have any of the practices that are that are self-perpetuating. And without that sense of so, so I, I don't even know. If I have a question. It seems it was the, just seeing that in front of me, seeing these comparisons, and seeing the different directions uh, uh, the communities are going. Uh, is there a way of inculcating some level of I would say nationalism, at least in in diaspora Jewry, so that maybe it will feed some level of religious connection? Because the religiosity and cure for all that we do and all the good work that cure people do, it's just a drop in the bucket. Molly. Uh, uh, okay, well, I'll just say that this was Chaim Simon's, uh if anybody hadn't listened to our podcast on Chaim Simon's article, this is the question that he posed, right? At the end of his article, he basically, and maybe it's also the what what he was observing, right, which is the increase in Jewish identification with the state of Israel as part of what it means to be a modern Orthodox Jew in America. Maybe it stems sort of from what Ruby you were just describing, but what he says is that's not viable for the modern Orthodox community in America long-term, they're going to need to figure out how to, um, what their identity is and what it rests on. And it's a good question. I, I have no answer for them. I, you're, you're, I, I'm, not, I'm just less in the modern Orthodox. Right? That's their problem. I'm much more interested in the 90% of the, uh, the rest of Jewry. 80%, right. so, meaning so my, like my you, heart, see, you see less and less connection to Israel. Right, among so, my, right so my heart breaks. For, for, listen, I don't want to, you know, there, there's, what can I say, you know, like, um, I, I, I don't, I don't even know what the question is, but I, I do think, I don't know, what's the question? Like, I, I didn't ask like, the question. I was like, I think that's what you said. <laughs> yes, yes. So, you know, the, 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 the farther a person gets from both tradition and from a national identification with Israel as the Jewish homeland the farther they get from uh, feeling that their Judaism is meaningful. And maybe those are two different tracks, parallel tracks, or complementary tracks. But but yes, we, we are seeing that. Yes. I don't know. Johnny, Johnny? can you please solve the problem of assimilation in the world? <laughs> I mean, it, it, the issue is, I mean, the statistics you cited and the others uh, in the book don't necessarily paint such an amazing picture in Israel. Meaning, let's not try and say, oh, we've got it all right here mm -hmm. and, and, and they've got it all wrong there. Let's not be foolish. On the contrary, there are real challenges that need to be addressed here. And, and that's part of what uh, Rosen and Fuchs are trying to map out. Nonetheless, you talk about, uh, do we not need a form of nationalism, let's say, in American jury? The answer is, there is nationalism. It's called American nationalism. And there's no way of getting around the fact that uh, though people may well have strong sympathies and strong ties to Israel, and they can be passionately Zionist. We spoke about this previously, and nobody's in any which way taking that away from people. 
uh, in the book, and they've got a whole chapter on this. A lot of nationalistic uh, um, views often are fostered or represented by political affiliations, and often that comes from local uh, and national political affiliations of the place you're living in. And that shifts how you see that relationship between religion and, and identity and, uh, and certain broader attitudes and perspectives. And really what they're kind of saying is, of course, a, a Jew uh, living in America, the UK or elsewhere can be completely loyal to Israel and can be completely committed to Judaism. But nonetheless, there is a synergy between the national uh, Israeli identity and the religious Jewish identity in Israel that comes together in a way that doesn't come together elsewhere and can't come together elsewhere because of the atmosphere and the landscape that we have here, because of what has been created here, what is being created here. And that's why they make reference to a number of disagreements or misunderstandings between Israeli politicians and, and diaspora communities and vice versa. And it seems to be in my understanding of that chapter in the book they're saying that's likely to continue because we're growing in one way um, and, and other communities are growing in different ways. There's no, God forbid, malice, but, but different atmospheres lead to different things growing in different ways. And Israel is a unique Jewish atmosphere and it's growing the people living here in a particular direction, some positively, sometimes less positively. But there is something unique happening here and that's what they're trying to identify it's interesting i actually i saw an article about a conference that took place in silicon valley of of israel supporters and israelis who are not religious there's a lot of israelis out in silicon valley and they they're they're actually searching they, they they tried to lay, lay lay a stake to the fact that they want to be israelis they want to be a primary important jewish community um without having to live in israel and also without having to be religious I mean, it's a very interesting question. You know, we just saw the, uh, the Israel, it's the IAC, the Israel Action Committee, like, you know, the Israeli version of APAC in, in America. And that's actually a very positive phenomenon that the Israelis are finally realizing that they need their own identity, independent maybe of, of American Jewry, if they want to maintain some level of, of, of distinctiveness and some level of connection. I personally, myself, I'm very skeptical as to whether they can maintain that. Meaning, if you grew up in Israel or you have a connection to Israel or you served in the IDF or what have you, then of course you're going to be connected. But I wonder what the what the level of, of their ability is to convey that to their to their children, and you know whether their children are also going to want to be want to understand the the speeches in Hebrew and are going to want to you know be a part of this culture when it's independent of and and not connected to a religious connection. You know, America has just, has demonstrated quite well that it's an incredible melting pot, and it erases it, it it erases quite intentionally borders and boundaries between cultures. And there's no reason why an Israeli culture should be different. You know, you know the only thing that Chazal understood was that if you have to maintain a level of separateness, when you have that level of separateness, then you're able to maintain your identity. But to claim that you can maintain a level of culture without a distinctiveness, I think that's something that's ultimately not going to have a lot of success. Molly? Yeah, I'm just thinking that it's just so funny. This is exactly I, I just, this class that I taught Rev Cook this morning. So Rev Cook said, if I thought that people could be culturally Jewish without being religious or traditionally traditional, I would worry about the fact that, that you know, in his time, there's this 
very, very powerful secular Israeli movement that's trying to exist. He's like, but I don't think it's possible, so I'm not worried. I don't think it's possible to separate um, a, a Jewish culture from a Jewish tradition and from a religious tradition. So eventually, says Rav Cook, they are, you're going to be you're going to end up with Jewsraeli kite, if you know to coin a phrase. So I agree with you. I mean, I don't know. It's going to be you know. I I wish these Israelis in Silicon Valley the best of luck to them. I also read that article. You know, the Ganim in Hebrew and maybe some falafel. Um, but I think I agree with you to be viable. Like the minute they scratch a little bit at, well, what does it mean to be Israeli? They're going to hit Jewish tradition and Jewish culture and, and, and mitzvot and history. And, um, you can't really separate the two and thank God. And I think that, that like, that's what, that's what we're trying to build here. Like, let's, you know, be honest. We're trying to return to what the most, I believe um, is meant to be the most authentic type of Judaism. Judaism is meant to be a lived religion, not just a religion, um, but a, a a a a national cultural experience that's lived in all aspects of your life. And we we were that was severed for two thousand years. Our ability to live as a nation and our ability to live as as a religious people, and we're putting them back together again. And I I think thank God. Can I just uh, make just one brief remark? What's, I think, important about both these sentiments and, and the conversation we're having here is it's the, not the headline conversations. You see, the headline conversations is recently, you know, public buses have started in Tel Aviv, and that that is a headline, and, and as a religious Jew cares about Shabbat, uh, I care deeply about those uh, those changes, uh, and, and, and I'm concerned about what those changes represent. At the same time, there are other flashpoints where, where religious uh, entities or individuals seem to take charge of things which perhaps they shouldn't be. And, and as many people summarize in this book, is there hadata, you know, making public spaces more religious? Yes. Is there chilun, an endeavor to make more religious uh, institutions more secular? Yes. But what this book is describing isn't the headlines. It's not the flashpoints which happen in both worlds. It's actually the norm. It's, it's what's happening in the street in most towns and most cities, which is there is these developments making way that more secular people are becoming more traditional. More traditional people are leaning into more nationalistic identities. And people are actually, at least the average uh, citizen here, are coming together. They're closer than people realize. Yeah, we, spoke, uh, we actually spoke listeners. about this culturally also, the music that's popular today. You know, you have these duets between Shuli Rand and, I don't know, my kids know all the people. You know, the religious sentiment that comes out, that you can have on Gal Galatz, that beautiful song about, you know, Vodan Yom Kippur, and somehow that yeah. permeates the one I, the one I, I don't know if you, I tagged you about, this new Natan Goshen Yishai Ribo song, right? It's so beautiful. Um, and it's 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 literally this. It's literally Jewsraeli. It's like... It, it, it mixes Israeli politics with a call for spirituality, with a call for a, a, a Jewish national spirit. It's 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 really beautiful. And I, I believe that when uh, people who live outside of Israel, in many ways, also those living inside of Israel, want to talk about the state of the Jewish people, it's easy to get the, the bigger headlines, you know, the great controversies of our age, which exist uh, and which deserve conversations. But 
let's pay a little bit more attention to these developments, as we say, in, in literature, in music, uh, in, in universities, in, in governance, and, uh, and, and in how people are living together. You know, secular kibbutzim are shifting, and religious neighborhoods are changing. And we think they're going further apart, but in most cases, they're not. They're becoming similar. And that's what this is, Jews-Raeli label is trying to assert. Instead of using fragmented language to describe a fragmented people, let's actually see we're much more similar than necessarily we often acknowledge. And perhaps that can lead to something positive. Yeah, I, I think Johnny, as always, eloquently sums up the conversation. So I want to thank you all for participating. I want to thank our listeners for uh, listening. You can actually, all of, our, all of the episodes are up on our podcast feed. I've been noticing people going back and listening to our previous episodes, so you're encouraged to do that. If you uh, consume this podcast on iTunes, please leave us a rating, um, uh, share with your friends, and let us know. Uh, if you have comments, we're happy to also consider your comments. You can find each of us. We're very, very e easy to find on the internet. Uh, my name is Ubrain Spolter. I'm here with Miley Brodsky and Rabbi Dr. Solomon. Well, thank you all for listening. Thank you, my son, Patricia Spolter, for our app music. Have a great weekend.